In the old lab, when I would try to envision myself standing up and defending, I could never picture it. Within just a few weeks of being in the new lab, I knew that I would get there. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, we talk to someone who got a new lease on grad school by changing labs. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 51. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey, Dan. Hey, Josh. How are you this evening? I am feeling great, and I sense another presence in the room. I don't know. Just Maybe it's just me. Hi. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is, well, hello there. How are you? We have, Do not lock the doors. <laughs> we just let oh, anybody into the studio yeah. these days. We are joined this week by Jessica. Say hi, Jessica. Hi. Hey, Jessica. All right, hi, we Jessica. have no idea why Jessica's here. <laughs> well, some of us, some of us do, and some of us don't. Why don't you tell us why Jessica's here, Josh? Well, one reason Jessica's here is she had a great beer idea. I did. I had a fantastic beer idea. So the beer this like week that. is specifically for Jessica. This is one that she had mentioned. She was really interested in trying. This is the Lazy Magnolia Brewery Southern Pecan. Did you say that right? Yes. Pecan. Okay. Pecan. Oh, what would you say? Southern pecan. No, I think in the north, it, well, yeah, no, it's pecan. I, I say pecan now, but I've definitely heard pecan. I've heard pecan. It's definitely southern pecan. Uh, you know, I sometimes say uh, pecan pie. I don't know why, but I'll say, like I say, southern pecan or the nut pecan. But for some reason, when pie is involved, I'll say pecan pie. I don't know why that is. Hmm. You need to get consistent here. Taste the beer and let us know how you like it. Yeah, let's try this. Hmm. This is good. It is good. Is it I wouldn't a- steer you wrong. Now, have you had this one before, Jessica? Or you just, what made you? There what? is like an actual slight hint of pecan. Yes. But it's not, it's not a lot. It doesn't taste like you're eating, you know, toasted nuts or something. It's, but it's, it's very subtle. So this was the first commercially made beer with actual whole roasted pecans. If you're allergic to pecans, probably should not actually Probably drink not. This. Okay. Mm-mm. Can I get, so where, where do I have to go to get it? From Virginia. North Carolina, you have to go to Virginia. Well, ask me how I know. <laughs> Did you go to Virginia, Josh? <laughs> she mentioned she really wanted the Southern Pecan, so went online. Nowhere in North Carolina to get this. I happened to be visiting my family in Virginia, and there was a, a grocery store, a lone grocery store, several towns away. And Where did you say I they brew it? it? It's from Kill, Mississippi. Oh. From the Jordan River. That's right. How many cases did you buy for Jessica? Oh, I bought two. Okay, great. But he kept one. But I kept oh. one. <laughs> Which we're drinking tonight. Oh, thanks. That's great. <laughs> uh, this is actually the last two that they had. So, Very cool. But good well, suggestion. This is, this is great. I just want to mention that um, fun fact about Kill, Mississippi, is that is the hometown of Brett Favre. Population 2,300. I'm going to throw <laughs> it. Dan, do you know who Brett Favre is? Yes. He plays sports ball. That's right. <laughs> He's a sports ball player. A really good one is, a, is what I understand. Yeah, the etymology of Favre is interesting to me because it's spelled F-A-V-R-E, Favre. But not pronounced <laughs> yeah, it's pronounced Favre. It's like... I don't get it. 
The word is pecan, but it's pronounced pecan. Go figure. That's <laughs> how we do it in the South. That's right. All right. Well, you know, we actually invited Jessica here not just to talk about beer. Though this is lovely conversation. So one of the reasons we wanted to have Jessica on the show is we've had some people inquire about what to do if you want to switch labs. So let's say you start grad school, you join a lab, and for one reason or another, you decide this is not really a good situation for me. What can you do? Are you stuck? Yeah, I'll probably take that a little bit further because if it's a little bit of a bad situation, you say, oh, I'll stick it out. Like You have to really be in, into a, a place where if you're considering switching, I, I don't know, it, it seems like a, a deeper level of trouble, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't an easy decision to make, for sure. It wasn't one that I took. You didn't come into graduate school thinking, I think I'm going to just... I'm going to join a lab, then I'm going to put a couple years in, and then start over somewhere else. Maybe find a new project. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, let's let's start from the beginning. So, so Jessica, first of all, just to orient the listeners, uh, so you have your PhD. I do. I have my PhD. Spoiler alert. You Mm -hmm. made it. I did. I did. Hello, PhD. Hello, PhD. Title of the podcast, yeah. So let's let's start from the beginning. So what made you decide to pursue a PhD in the first place? So I had done some uh, research as an undergraduate and where I was able to work in the lab, get some experience, but it was in analytical chemistry. And I knew that I wanted to do more biomedical type research. And so after I got my bachelor's degree in biochemistry, I spent a couple of years as a lab technician in Um, one year was in a yeast lab, one year was in a cell culture lab. And so I was getting um, a lot more biomedical research experience in preparation to go to graduate school. And I think I went to graduate school knowing that I wanted to get my PhD because I wanted to be considered some kind of leader. I knew that I didn't want to always be told what to do and how to do it. I wanted to have some intellectual involvement. And um, I also knew that I had a, a big interest in working with students and potentially teaching one day. So this is independence, autonomy, and the opportunity to teach, which if you, if you want to teach at the university level, better to have a PhD. Right. So you knew you liked science, but you didn't necessarily want to be a technician in a lab your whole life. Right, exactly. I wanted more um, independence and I wanted more control over the project and, you know, what I was doing every day. Okay. So Seems you, reasonable. Yeah, definitely. So you came to graduate school and you got started. And then how far in would you say you were when you started having thoughts about... Three weeks, want- <laughs> four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> about wanting to change labs. How long were you in the lab before those thoughts came, came into play? Um, so I was probably, you know, as the first year I did rotations and I joined the lab at the end of my first year. And I would say by... The end of my second year, beginning of my third year, I started to question whether or not I had made the right decision. Critical time, end of the second year, beginning of the third year, because classes are over and now you're more fully in that thing you've chosen. So you'd been there a little over a year in that lab. Mm -hmm, Correct. Yeah. Were, Were your other rotations, I mean, when you chose that lab after the rotations, were you pretty convinced at that time that was the right place? Um, in like hindsight, little- yeah, in hindsight, it probably wasn't a crystal clear decision. Um, I think I'm, I felt like at the time I made the best decision that I could given the information that I had. Fair. And I felt like maybe the other two labs weren't good options for me. And I, I still would say the same thing today. But maybe, you know, if I could go back in time, I might have rotated in just different labs completely. Okay, interesting. Well, we'll come back to... Um- 
questions you wish you had asked before you joined later, but let's hear, hear more of the story. Yeah, so what, what was the situation, what types of things were going on that made you start thinking about changing labs? So, I, like I said, this was sort of the end of my second year, beginning of third year. And let me just also say that at this time, I am from New Orleans, and this was in 2005. And so Katrina hit New Orleans in August of that year. And I was really struggling with whether or not I wanted to be in that lab. I was struggling with whether or not I wanted to be in graduate school. And um, when Katrina happened, it really sort of put a lot of things in perspective for me in, in that I realized that my family was, was what was really important to me. But at the time, I was advised that um, in times of stress, it's not the best time for you to make a life-altering decision like changing labs or leaving grad school. And so I decided to stick it out for a little bit longer. But I would say that um, I think I was I was starting to become unhappy because I was really floundering in trying to figure out what my project was going to be. Um, I feel like the environment of the lab changed quite a bit between the time that I joined at the end of my first year and the time you know, that I'm talking about now into getting into my third year. Um, you know, there was a lot of turnover in the lab and there were different people there than had been before. And so the environment was very different. And I also felt like um, my PI's um, involvement in, in what was going on in the lab had changed too. So this was natural attrition, postdocs, moving on to faculty and graduate students graduating. Is that why people were leaving or was there something else <laughs> going a, on? Abandoned like, ship. Yeah, rats from a sinking ship. <laughs> Um, I think I would actually say maybe a little bit of both. There were some senior graduate students that had sort of finished up as I was joining the lab, and so it was natural for them to be moving on. But there was a lab technician that had been there for many years, and um, I think as her, what she knew was the lab environment changed because some of those senior students had moved on. I think she was feeling. Um, frustrated. And I think we were having some funding issues. And so um, she felt like it was time for her to move on as well. And so that, again, you know, changed the environment. And then there was a a graduate student a year ahead of me who decided to leave with her master's, which at the time really surprised me. So the whole the whole composure of the lab changed. And it sounds like if, if there were funding issues, and the PI was maybe a little less engaged, and your project wasn't well defined, I mean, all of those things kind of go together. You know, and, and over the course of the next six months or so, I would say, you know, I wrote my proposal and I defended my proposal in front of my committee. And so I sort of felt like I had, you know, come up with this project and, you know, had a plan for what I was going to do. And then um, sort of towards the end of my third year, um, someone in another lab published essentially everything that I had said I wanted to do in my proposal. No. So that didn't that help. Her, oh, that was that a makes bad me sick. Day. That makes me sick. That feeling, you know, that like sinking stomach feeling when you see the. I don't the think work. I've ever been more depressed. Oh, that is awful. Yeah, I'll have to do an episode on that. <laughs> scooped, <laughs> scooped. Yeah. If you have a scooped story, write to us. Yeah. You know, I was definitely very unhappy. It was sort of one of those things where I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning because I didn't want to go into lab, and. I think there were a lot of things that contributed to it. I think one was that the PI was less engaged. And so I felt like um, I wasn't getting a lot of support when I was trying to troubleshoot or had, or if I would run into complications, I didn't feel like there was anyone 
there that was going to be sort of guiding me through this process. And then I think the change in environment was so drastic that it surprised me for one. And so the lab that I joined and the community that I felt like I had when I joined the lab no longer existed. And so I found myself in a lab with just a couple of people left and I was the only female left in the lab. And it just didn't end up being the kind of environment that I had envisioned I would be in. So really you felt like you had lost some support from the PI, but in addition to that, even some support systems you had with lab members, that went away too. Absolutely. So you really were on your own. And yeah. with, a, with a project floundering, not having the involvement of the PI or or some mentor in the lab, how can you expect it to get better, right? Right. It's, it's bad right now. I don't see it getting better. The only ch- choice is to leave. Right. And when I realized that someone had published all yeah, of the experiments the people that... publishing your experiments. <laughs> the final I, I gut punch. I just doing. forgot about it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I realized, well, I'm going to have to start over anyway. And so, you know, in, in terms of I'm going to have to start a new project. And so yeah. do I want to start that new project here or do I want to start that new project in a different environment with a different mentor? Okay, so really, you know, you got to a place you weren't, really leaving much behind nothing i was leaving nothing behind (laughs) so okay so i'll say so i would say at that point you know the support systems have evaporated you've been scooped so you're at square one with your project you're a third year graduate student i was at the end of my third year at this point looking into your fourth year as a graduate student Mm -hmm. you decide you want to switch so walk us Walk us through that process. So then what happens? Renaissance make- literature. You switched to Renaissance <laughs> literature. <laughs> so what, what, what happened once you made that decision? So I think it wasn't a decision that I came to very easily. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and talking to different people. Um, there were a couple of other faculty members in the department that I had come to know over the last few years. And I think they noticed changes in me over the time that I had been there. And, you know, they would very often sort of check in and ask me how I was doing. And, and at some point, they put me in touch with a psychologist, actually, that had worked with a number of graduate students um, over the years. And she was, you know, very familiar with how the process worked. And so I started meeting with her on a weekly basis and sort of talking through what my different options were. And, you know, one was to just leave right then and there. Another option... Like leave leave grad school entirely. Yeah, leave grad school entirely um, and leave with nothing. Um, Another option was to stick it out um, for a little bit longer and try to see if I could pull something together to write up a master's thesis and leave with a master's. And then the third option, which I fought, was changing labs. And that was something that I said in the beginning that I did not want to do. And over time, as I sort of explored the different options, you know, I... I weighed the pros and cons and I had kind of come to the decision that I wanted to go ahead and try to um, leave with a master's, you know, that I felt like I had put enough time and effort into graduate school and had come far enough that I didn't want to leave with nothing, but that I wasn't sure that I was going to stick it out to the end. And yeah, there, there are so many people right now going through this same process where they're doing that math and there is no happy answer. The staying hurts the leaving hurts. All of it hurts. It's just such a such a hard place to be. But um, clearly, 
you you can get through it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and so I I actually went to one of the faculty members that I had been talking a little bit about um, to let them know that I had decided that I was going to go ahead and try to wrap up with a master's. And uh, I walked into his office thinking I was going to tell him I was leaving with a master's. And uh, I found myself walking out thinking that I should go ahead and change labs. Okay, that sounds like a, a good transition. What was the reasoning there? <laughs> so, you know, he laid out some good arguments for why I should consider um, not just leaving with a master's and consider changing labs. And in the end, um, I decided that it was, I owed it to myself to at least try a different lab. Um, and then if, and if I didn't like it and it didn't work out, then fine, I could still leave. But if I didn't try another lab, I might always regret not having tried it. I like, I love solutions where there's nothing to lose, right? You've already decided I'm out of here. And, and now you're saying, well, I'm, I'll do this one thing. And if it doesn't work, I'm in the same situation. But if it does work, now I've got upside. Because it sounds great. like it couldn't really get worse. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, I mean, one thing that I sort of struggled with was, okay, if I leave my master's, then what am I going to do? Um, and I didn't really have a good answer for that. And so, you know, I, I felt like um, some of the arguments that this particular faculty member was making were pretty valid and that, um, you know, I, I could at least give another lab a try. So, so how did you find a new lab? Wait a minute. I assumed it was in the lab of that very kind faculty member. It's not? No. Oh, wow. No. Just a kind-hearted person giving you advice. Pretty much. Yeah, so how'd you oh. find a new lab? Yeah. You know, in the course of that conversation, and I think in, you know, that day that I walked into his office telling, thinking I was going to tell him I was going to leave with a master's, and I walked out thinking I was going to change labs, um, it was a good two to three hour conversation. I mean, this was a very long conversation that he had with me, and, you know, and I appreciated the time that he gave to me that day because I know that you know, PIs often have a lot on their plates and a lot of other things to do. So uh, one of the things that we talked about was what was it that I wanted in a new lab? And what was it that I wanted to get out of graduate school? And, you know, at that point, I really felt very strongly that I wanted to teach. And that wasn't necessarily something that was supported by my old PI. You know, he would always say that, well, you can get experience in that in your postdoc or, or later. Because um, that's what postdocs are for, right. is teaching experience. Teaching. People, postdocs <laughs> love to teach. That's one thing I know about them. Yeah. <laughs> so much time. So, uh, you know, but I mentioned um, to this other faculty member that I, I really felt strongly that I wanted to teach. And I had been participating in pedagogy workshops and things like that. So I was familiar with what it would take and what I was getting into. And so I decided that I should try um, to move into a model system that would be very useful in some kind of teaching environment. I had been to a couple of seminars recently about C. elegans, and I found myself being very fascinated by these tiny little worms for some reason. And um, so then when I started looking, there were, you know, just a handful of labs, not even a handful, just a few labs on campus that were working on C. elegans. And then I started looking at what kinds of things they were working on and where my interests were. And there was one particular lab that I was interested in. That's cool. I love C. elegans. You, if you want to teach... Mice are not the answer. Not at right? all. No. Like you're limited to a certain number of things, and yeast, eh? They don't. They don't crawl around. There's not a lot going on. Well, I, I switched to yeast from you they're know. Not from, fun to watch a, as a student. I mean, not as fun a, to watch as a bacteriologist. They were the easiest transition. Yeah, 
get get those eukaryotes. Yeah, you can leave them out on the bench and they don't wander off. That's so. true. Yeah. Does but the alligators worms, wander off? No, the worms okay. didn't crawl out the plate. All right, so you found this lab, the C. elegans lab. And and the PI was like, yeah, great. Come on over. You were like, hey, you're, really. you're, you're cool. You're cool, too. Come on. And then the music started playing, and it Not was really. one big. No. So no. what was that meeting like when you met the PI for the first time? I was certainly met with a lot of skepticism because there's certainly, you know, sort of a stigma attached to someone who's changing labs and um i think yeah the the problem is never the lab or the situation it's always you right Right, exactly and i think this pi had taken in a homeless graduate student in the past and um had a little bit of experience and so it was you know a little wary moving forward and what was i going to be like and what was i going to contribute so you showed up at his door with a basket and said may please I, take me may i have a project kind yes. sir <laughs> got, a, got an english accent i like that <laughs> most effective way to join a lab yes so i met with him and we discussed um a few of the different projects that he had going on in the lab and i felt like they were really interesting so You know, I had been looking at the cytoskeleton in my first lab, and while I was doing that in cells in that particular lab, this new lab was also looking at the cytoskeleton, just using a model organism to do it. And so we met for for a while that day and talked about the different projects, and he asked me to tell him a little bit about what I had worked on. And so I went to the board in his office and just started giving an impromptu chalk talk about my project in my old lab. Later on, years later, he said that was actually the moment when he realized that he was he was going to be comfortable taking me into the lab because he said because he said I felt he felt like I did a good job of just all of a sudden walking up to the board and, and talking about my project. So so really what was going on right there is suddenly you were in the middle of an impromptu job interview. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Life skill, everybody. Be ready with your jock talk. Wow. A job interview could happen at any time. And then at the end of that, he said, um, you know, I'd like you to come back tomorrow and meet with the different people in my lab. And so... Again, now in hindsight, I know I, you know, I was essentially being interviewed by the members of the lab, and you know, he was going to ask them what they thought. Yeah, makes sense. And um, and so in, I did in the that. same way that that culture, the cultural fit for you in your first lab when it started was important to you. You can't bring a random person into any lab and and not test out the waters. I think right. Um, and it was very clear to me that this particular lab had um you know, a great community feel to it. The The graduate students and the postdocs were always helping each other, talking science. You know, I really liked what I saw as far as the interactions between everyone in the lab. And so at the end of that, that day, he gave me um, a few papers to read and said, okay, come back um, in a couple of days. And after you've read the paper and we can talk about potential projects. And um, I said, okay. And I went off and I read the papers and I came back and, you know, what did you think was the first question he asked. And I was like, uh, and so I told him what I thought and, you know, told him what I thought was interesting. And, um, he said, well, you know, I've given a little bit of thought to what kind of project would be appropriate for you since you're essentially starting your fourth year of graduate school and you obviously don't want to be here forever. 
Um, and so he proposed a potential project and he said, um, you know, I didn't make this decision lightly. He said, I called several faculty members to ask about you and your background and all of them had great things to say about you. And so he said, I couldn't find a reason not to take you. Very and, and graciously. He and he had grants and cash money. Yes. Because that's important. I, mean, yeah. I know that um, when funding is tight, sometimes people just can't take new students. Sure. And he was very, he very graciously accepted me into his lab. And yeah. So, all right. So you really had a year or more where you were feeling pretty miserable with grad school and life in general. I mean, you mentioned it was hard to even get out of bed sometimes. And I know a lot of us have been there. So what's it like now you're walking into this brand new lab, this fresh start. What did that feel like? It was amazing. It was a complete 180 from where I had been before. I think I, in the old lab, when I would try to envision myself standing up and defending, I could never picture it. I had no idea what that would look like. And I would say within just a few weeks of being in the new lab, I knew that I would get there. I knew what that would look like. And, and it, it just completely changed. That's amazing. What signs do you wish you had seen at the first lab? And then how were those different in the second one? Was there, was there a way you could have known or was it impossible? It was just you had to go live in it and make the mistake and correct when you found out. Or is there a way to somebody who is doing rotations right now? Is there something that, that they can look for and avoid this whole thing? I think I made the best decision that I could based on the information that I had at the time. What questions but, could you have asked had you known to right. ask them? Well, and I think I think I should have listened to my gut a little bit more. And I think I should have explored, okay, if I don't think that the three labs that I did rotations in were right for me, what are my other options? Mm. And I think in my mind at the time, there were no other options. Like I have to pick one of these. Right. And so, and I think that had I followed up a little bit more and asked more questions and been a little bit more proactive in, in deciding, you know, what were my options that may have, have helped. I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm, I'm hearing that you feel like you made a good decision. To change labs, yeah. absolutely. As opposed to leaving or the master's or the other options. Yeah, absolutely. In the end, I earned my PhD, which was what I had set out to do when I started graduate school. And now I have a job that I really love. And that wouldn't be possible without, you know, having stuck through the difficulty and gotten through to the end. Yeah. And let me tell you, I love this, this story because, you know, you came in with a goal. You wanted to to gain independence, you wanted to maybe do teaching, have this career that really you have now, and you really reached this point that due to no fault of your own, you were just in a bad environment for you, maybe for anybody, you could have very much been forced to give up on that goal due to circumstances external to you. It had nothing to do with you changing your mind, saying like, you know, I really don't want to do that anymore, but by default saying, well, I guess I'll take a master's or leave, even though I don't know what I'm going to do with that because I feel like I have no other choice. I still like science, but I guess this process didn't work for me. And Dan knows that's one of my biggest pet peeves. That is one of your biggest pet peeves. It happens every day. Every day. Multiple times a day, yeah. People who leave science, not because they don't like science anymore and decide that's not what I want to do, but who are just in an environment that's not conducive to them getting where they want to go. And so I love this story, the fact that you found another environment 
that was so much better and really did give you a new a new lease on your career and enabled you to get where you wanted to go in a way that you wouldn't have been able to yeah, otherwise. Absolutely. And I think there was another graduate student that had entered the lab, my old lab at the same time that I did. And he went on to finish his PhD in that lab and has done very well. I think he works in industry now. And so the environment was, was a good fit for him. It was not a good fit for me. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, different people have different needs. And just because it's a good fit for one person doesn't mean it's a good fit for another and vice versa. We'll get his name after the show and invite him on. We'll do the hard hitting journalism, find out whether it was really good for him or not. <laughs> he said, she said. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's an important point because and I think this is where a lot of the stigma comes in with switching labs because, you know, you changed labs, but in no way was that an indictment, a sweeping indictment on the PI or an indictment on you. It's just that it wasn't a good fit right. for you. And that was the thing. I had I had a really good relationship with my PI and I actually had stomach pains knowing that I was going to go in and tell him that I was leaving the lab. I felt really bad about it. But I I just knew that if I, that if I didn't try a different lab that I was going to quit graduate school. Yeah, it was the right call for you. Yeah. So I think the last question I have is I'm certain there are probably people out there listening who are in the situation that you found yourself in at the end of your second or third year graduate school who have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning or have a hard time picking up the pipette men because they're just in a bad situation for them. What advice would you give to students out there who really are questioning whether the lab they are in now is the best one for them. So I think that there are probably a lot of students that face this challenge and question. And my case, I had worked really hard in my first few years of graduate school, and I had interacted with other faculty members that were, you know, on my team, for lack of a better way to say that. You know, I had formed relationships with other faculty members that I saw as mentors outside of my own uh, research PI mentor. And so that was really beneficial for me and crucial for me in making my move from the old lab to the new lab, because those PIs could advocate for me to the new PI and tell them that I deserved a chance. And None of that would have been possible if I had not worked really hard and if I had not formed relationships with these other faculty members. I love that. And I love it because you didn't go meet those people so that someday they would help you. You went and and talked with them and worked with them because they were interesting and and you wanted to get to know them. And and down the road, it was valuable. Right. Um, But, you know, this term networking... Um, you wouldn't call it that. You would call it you had relationships with these people. Right. Getting to know people. Yeah, right. networking is when you when you like go shake hands so that somebody can do a favor for it's you a, later. A and plate of appetizers yeah, and name tags. Yeah, exactly. And and what you did is um, you had a group of people who like you and therefore they wanted to help you when you needed it. And I think that's awesome. Right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, I feel inspired. I thought that I'm going to change labs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back. You know, you had this faculty member who had this really important two-hour conversation with you that gave you an option C that you didn't realize was was actually on the table. So maybe this conversation today will help students out there realize an option C might be available for them and might be the best choice. Mm-hmm. Daniel, I'm finishing up my Southern Pecan beer, and in the meantime, do you have a word? 
origin puzzle for us today. I sure do. The clue last week is, should I work out this calf muscle on my leg days or my stomach days? You must know this, Josh. You're a CrossFitter. Abductor. Oh, interesting. Ab, I like that. Not the answer. What, do you know the, the name of the calf muscle? The calf. Is that this one? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, this one? Not, not an anatomy uh, graduate uh, student. One? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the answer was gastrocnemius. Have you heard of the gastrocnemius? I've never heard of that. What do, but people, when you do workouts, what do you call ga- what do you call your calf muscle? You just say I'm working out my calves. Yeah, my. Calves. You can't even pick out the calf. So okay, <laughs> the fatted calf. Yeah, <laughs> I got my I got my quads. Well, interesting. My you should say fatted calf. So gastrocnemius is it's two part. Gastro is the first part, meaning belly or stomach. And nemius comes from Greek, and it actually uh, refers to the first the calf muscle. So your calf muscle is basically called the belly of your leg, which is because it sticks out. Yeah, I mean, I if you really it. work your calves, I it's like see it. it's like a beer belly, but yeah. on your leg. Yeah. So that is where the name of your calf muscle comes from. Your Indo-European root of the calf muscle is is a word that means the, the shin bone, but that root in Old English came to mean the thigh muscle of a pig and it became the word ham so a ham hot yeah exactly so those two words ham and your calf muscle even though they're totally different muscles share the same word origin i just want to say all this talk about calves and hams are really making me a little hungry dan did we have a winner this week we sure did it was kayla from the university of michigan congratulations congrats to kayla thanks for playing okay next week's clue Though this fish genus is native to the rice fields of India, you may find them in a nearby lab. I'll read it one more time. Though this fish genus is native to the rice fields of India, you may find them in a nearby lab. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue, and once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com, and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler a ham. No? An Amazon gift card. Much better. So I guess you could buy a ham on Amazon, and if you did, you would certainly click through the Amazon banner on the side of the Hello PhD website. <laughs> what a segue. That was, in, that was incredible. <laughs> you always find some way. Yeah, if you want to show us some love so we can buy more Southern Pecan beer, click through that Amazon banner, and we'll get a little kickback from that. We need gas money to go back to Virginia for more beer. That's right. Now that good, we're getting, point. we're running out of beers. We have to drive long distances to get beer now. So we're going to be. We should do a Mississippi run. <laughs> we do. Well, we've been talking about going to Madison to get some beer. Yeah. How do people get in touch with us, Josh? Yeah. So if you have an idea for a show, or if you have a story you'd love to share, um, we we want to hear it. So you can email us podcast at hellophd.com. You can tweet at us at hellophd, or you can get in touch with us on the Facebook page. All right, Jessica, thank you so much for coming to the studio, sharing your story. It was great to have you here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for suggesting the pecan beer. That was delicious. Absolutely. I have enjoyed mine, and I'm almost done. Dan, we will see you next week. See you next week.